Welcome to your Truth Reveal podcast, helping you be your own mental health expert. I'm Erica Marcoux, and with a master's in counseling psychology, I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to explore your hidden physical and mental health potential. You're listening to episode 33, Know Your Brain Neurology. This is the first part of an interview with neurologist Diego Tobar Quiroga. Specializing in seizures and epilepsy, he explains that often people are bewildered by the symptoms that can also affect their mental health. He provides ways to successfully recognize and treat this brain disorder. People can experience mental health symptoms after the seizure. There is a list of symptoms, depression, lack of energy, pain, euphoria, irritability, anxiety, and fear. People with epilepsy have a higher incidence of depression, and I think it's something close to 30% higher than the regular population. Diego completed medical school in Bogota, Colombia. His residency was in New York City and his fellowship in Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic. He is a certified neurologist at Austin Epilepsy Care Center and is dedicated to treating and diagnosing people with seizures and epilepsy. Listen as Diego and I reveal the wonders of how your brain and nervous system function and explore how epilepsy manifests along with innovative ways to heal. Diego, thank you for joining me today and taking this time to explain what you've dedicated your life to doing and helping people with seizures. Erica, thank you for having me at your podcast. I think this is a magnificent opportunity to uh, communicate some of the aspects of my work and how it's related to mental health. How did you initially get into this line of work? I am an adult neurologist, Erica, and my specialty is seizures and epilepsy. I knew that I wanted to be involved in neuroscience early on when I was going through medical school. When you go through physiology, which is that area where you learn how things work in the human body, it was just fascinating to me uh, to see how intricate, how complex is the brain and the nervous system. I started to learn that epilepsy and seizures is one of those areas where we have many options to treat. Also, it's one of these parts of neurology where I get to use technology. I perform recordings of electrical activity in and out of the brain. I work with brain images. So it's a very hands-on work in that sense. Mm-hmm. It sounds really fulfilling. And I can I, tell that you're passionate about it. It is, yeah. That's good. Is it evident to people who've never had a seizure before that that's what's going on? Many times these symptoms are so odd that people don't realize that this is happening. Mm -hmm. The experiences can be so individualized that others don't see that this is happening. And there is fear when people experience seizures to be labeled as having a mental illness. They don't even talk about these things until years later. Oh, wow. How do they even find you or someone like you to help them? Even if they're having subtle symptoms, they can talk to their primary care doctor and then they start to suspect that it might be related to seizures. Sometimes people experience a more robust episode of symptoms, perhaps a convulsion, and that is big enough to look for medical attention. Mm -hmm. 
And it seems a little tricky, though, with maybe some of those more subtle symptoms. It is. That's part of my job to have that clinical suspicion to investigate certain symptoms because it's not easy. It's not Mm -hmm. easy. Mm -hmm. What happens neurologically in the brain during a seizure? Imagine that everything you do, moving, sensations, emotions, creating memories, recall of memories, seeing, hearing, all those are functions of the brain. And what is happening in real time is that there is electricity flowing through networks in the brain. We call these functional networks. An epileptic seizure happens when there is an abnormal electrical discharge flowing through these networks in the brain and the specific network or region of the brain becomes dysfunctional. It doesn't work well and it gives symptoms. During a seizure, people can experience things like feeling sudden emotions, surreal experiences, they can have hallucinations, involuntary movements, loss of consciousness, etc. What happens neurologically in the brain after a seizure, and what are some symptoms? Many times after a seizure, the networks in the brain remain dysfunctional for a period of time, and people can experience other symptoms as a consequence of the seizure, even though the seizure has ended. Let me give you an example. If the part of the brain that we use to control the movement of one half of our body is involved in the seizure, after the seizure you could have weakness and it can take hours or sometimes even days to recover the strength on that part of your body. The word that comes up for me is brain damage, but I don't know if that's really what's happening. When epileptic seizures are not well controlled and they continue to happen over time, the condition become progressive. The seizures happen more frequently, Mm -hmm. the symptoms could be more robust, the seizures stop responding to medications, and the networks that are involved during the seizures start to deteriorate. We have evidence in looking at the size of the brain in different structures that they shrink, they lose cells. We need to analyze tissue in the microscope. You realize there is death of neurons. There is some degree of damage that happens over time. How might someone who has seizures experience an impact on their mental health? People can experience mental health symptoms after the seizures. Mm -hmm. If the network involved is part of mood control, you can have transient mood symptoms. There is this post-seizure psychosis. People can have hallucinations, disorganized thought. I have patients who have a seizure and experience two weeks of very deep depression. People with epilepsy have a higher incidence of depression, and I think it's something close to 30% higher than the regular population. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, there is an association with other mood disorders that happen more frequently in people with epilepsy, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, etc. So there is some association between the two things. Do you know what the correlation actually is and why seizures can create schizophrenia or bipolar Good question. No, I don't know why we understand these networks in the brain and how they become dysregulated. And if you are affecting networks that we use for control of mood, that may be part of the illness. I have had patients, they have both conditions, but the seizures are so frequent that it's very difficult for me to find out if the mood symptoms are completely separated condition 
or a result of very frequent seizures. If someone was bipolar and had seizures, would they be taking medication for the seizures and for bipolar, or would the seizure medication take care of both? Excellent question. There are some anti-seizure drugs, mood stabilizers, and psychiatrists use them for treatment of bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can treat both the epileptic seizures and stabilize mood. Another link between epilepsy and psychiatric disorders involves the possibility that seizures themselves can cause lasting changes in mood and thinking. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. The patient can experience dysphoric disorder that is the result of a seizure. There is a list of symptoms, it's eight of them, but the criteria is having at least three of these symptoms. Depression, lack of energy, pain, euphoria, irritability, anxiety, and fear. It's interesting to see these specific symptoms like euphoria and psychosis. The person clearly for a period of time has all the symptoms of a psychiatric condition like having schizophrenia, but it's just transient. Meaning that it will show up and then it goes away. Correct. The symptoms improve without any additional treatment or medication. Let's say the changes in the brain goes back to normal and Mm -hmm. the symptoms improve. It's all possible. It can certainly happen. I know you did part of your medical education in Colombia, and I'm really fascinated to understand how American culture impacts how seizures are treated versus in Colombia. What did you notice? Every culture has its own beliefs, and even though we are now in this era of globalization, where we have a more widespread culture throughout the world, there are still strong remnants of particular cultures in each country. In Colombia, there is a mix of accepting Western medicine, and there are some other beliefs that carry on some of the traditions of how to treat illnesses. I saw people would treat conditions with massages and applications of oils. I saw a gentleman who was having appendicitis and his abdomen was massaged for two days before the appendix rupture and then he had peritonitis and and he never went to the hospital until it became a big problem. But that's kind of the discrepancy in terms of culture that you see not only in physicians but also in people in how they understand their symptoms and what to do about things, no? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are there natural ways to treat seizures? There are some non-pharmacological and non-surgical treatments, but they are very specific. There is a particular epileptic condition related to a genetic problem where the neurons in the brain cannot transport glucose inside of the cell body. The main fuel for the brain cells is glucose, and there is an option as an alternative to use the fuel called ketones, which is a Mm -hmm. compound derived from fat metabolism. Mm -hmm. And when that genetic condition exists, the treatment is transitioning to a diet based in ketones and leading the metabolism of the person to ketosis. That's completely non-pharmacological, but that's for that specific genetic condition. Right. And that specific genetic condition has to be diagnosed and understood that it's a genetic problem. That being said, many people with epilepsy, without this condition, when they implement a low-carbohydrate, low-glycemic index diet that can put them in ketosis or close to ketosis, they experience significant benefit. 
it can complement the treatment with medications. And sometimes you can balance and perhaps lower a medication with combined diet. It's difficult to implement these diets in adults, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. And in terms of herbals, CBD compounds from the marijuana plant. It is a medication they were able to isolate from marijuana. There are 200 plus chemical compounds called cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And one of them called CBD cannabidiol. Okay. That specific compound could help and is used as an anti-seizure drug. I consider that a medication because it's manufactured by a pharmaceutical company. It's a chemical compound. It has its side effects. Right? Oh, so it's, okay. n- it's not completely innocuous. It is a medication, but it's derived from a plant. What are the side effects of CBD oil for seizures? It could cause irritation and dysfunction of the liver. Oh. That has to be monitored. Because of that, it can affect the metabolism of other medications and fatigue drowsiness. That's the other main side effect. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Well, I keep going back to what you said earlier, that there is a cure. These seizures can be treated. Yes. And, and that's the good news, right? That is the good news. The main tool that we have for treatment of seizures is anti-seizure drugs. These medications modify the electrical chemical environment of the brain and prevent the epileptic seizures from happening. And the majority of the patients, we can control the seizures with medications. About 75% of the people, we can do that. If we can't get to that point, we have treatments, including some type of surgeries that we could perform to ideally provide complete seizure freedom. Oh, wow. We also have types of brain surgery, implanting devices in the brain that can over time reach that goal. With the surgery, what are you doing? Are you removing a part of the brain? Yes. If you could identify the region of the brain that is causing the seizures, if you can guarantee that the potential damage to brain function is acceptable, you could remove a part of the brain. And the whole idea is to obtain a good outcome, which is minimal to no seizures after removing the part of the brain. When we can't do that, there are options to implant devices in the brain. The idea of the treatment is to slowly modify these networks in the brain with that device. Where do you put the device? Excellent question. It depends. If you can identify the epicenter of the seizures, Mm -hmm. you could put a device in that part of the brain. There are other implanted devices, deep brain stimulation, Mm -hmm. similar to what is done for patients with Parkinson's disease. It's not localized. It's the whole brain that is receiving treatment. I know that you counsel people that are affected by seizures on their lifestyle changes. What are some key changes that your patients would benefit from? One of the aspects that is underrated frequently is sleep. Sleep is fundamental. For people with epilepsy or without epilepsy, it doesn't matter. It's fundamental. Now we're understanding better what the brain is actually doing when we go to sleep. We had the idea that the brain was in an idle mode or doing nothing when Mm. we go to sleep. It's more than that. It's way more than that. (laughs) There was this beautiful paper published where they were showing how the flow of this cerebral spinal fluid happens when we sleep. We suspect there is some type of housekeeping process happening during the hours of sleep. I want to go back 
You said cerebral spinal fluid. And for those in the audience that don't know what that is, can you explain? Yes, I can explain that. The brain makes a fluid that is covering the brain and the spinal cord. Inside of the brain, we have these pools. We call them ventricles. Part of the ventricle is lined with a tissue that makes this liquid. The liquid flows out of those ventricles, covers the brain and the spinal cord. On the surface of the brain, in a different part, there are some structures that absorb that liquid. So there is a constant production and absorption of that liquid, the cerebral spinal fluid. And my understanding is that it travels up and back down again? Yes. Like yes. a and pump? Correct. It has to do with gravity. Yes, <laughs> there is a flow to this movement. And most of it is absorbed on the surface of the brain. There are some little clusters of tissue called arachnoid granulations that absorb all that liquid. And there is a cycle of production and absorption. And sleep is a time for our brains to restore and renew. Certainly. And it's imperative. Not only that, it's the time where we form memories. What we do during the day, all those things are stored in our memory to some extent. And sleep is the time where that happens. Mm -hmm. I am convinced that there will be information in the following years linking poor quality of sleep with brain degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, mm -hmm. Parkinson's disease, etc. Because mm -hmm. these diseases happen because of accumulation of some proteins in the neurons inside of the brain. And yes, some of these conditions are related to genetic disturbances that affect the production of these proteins. But we're going to confirm that suspicion, mm -hmm. that the quality of the sleep is linked to higher incidence of these diseases. I call it sleep hygiene. Exactly. I counsel my patients about their sleep. I try to find out if there is a sleep disorder that has not been diagnosed because that's part of the treatment. If I suspect they have sleep apnea, I refer them to see a sleep clinician so they can have a sleep study and find out if they need treatment. I counsel also about exercise. Mm -hmm. Beyond the cardiovascular benefit, it is proven that performing a workout ideally in the morning improves the quality of your sleep. Mm -hmm. I like to take dance class and oftentimes it's held after work hours. But what happens for me is I get excited and mm -hmm. my whole system is revved up. It really interrupts my sleep. It's definitely better for me to do it earlier in the day. Yes. And that's for the majority of us. We have this wake sleep cycle and... I work out after 6 p.m. I, I probably stay up until 1 in the morning. I just can't. It's all interrelated. When we're exercising, how much exercise we're getting, the type of exercise, and yes. how that impacts our sleep. Yes. And that's why I was making the emphasis on the workout in the morning, ideally, because it is proven to improve the quality of your sleep at night. I want to take a moment to talk about free resources that can help you or your loved one manage a life with epilepsy. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, recommends the Epilepsy Foundation's helpline. You can talk to a trained specialist who will answer your questions and link you to resources in your community. Call 1-800-332-1000. Also, if you want to find an epilepsy center near you in the U.S., visit the National Association of Epilepsy Centers at naecepilepsy.org.
Lastly, if you want to contact Dr. Diego Quiroga, go to austinepilepsy.com. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Diego Quiroga. First of all, epilepsy is a brain disorder that causes recurrent seizures. Epilepsy is one of the most common neurological diseases, and there are 2.5 million people in the United States with epilepsy today. Although epilepsy can be a burden, about 70% of people with epilepsy can lead healthy lives. When seizures occur, there's an electrical disturbance of the brain, and this is associated with temporary changes in awareness, behavior, or movement. The good news is that in between seizures, brain function goes back to normal and seizure symptoms resolve. Fortunately, there are several treatments for epilepsy. The most common treatment is taking anti-seizure medications. About 30 to 70% of people with epilepsy respond well to medications. In addition, people with epilepsy can benefit from three primary changes in their lifestyle. The first is a change in diet that includes the ketogenic or modified Atkins diet. This reduces the amount of glutamate in the brain and enhances the synthesis of GABA. I talk about glutamate and GABA in the episodes Know Your Neurotransmitters. A low-carbohydrate diet can also reduce inflammation in the brain. The second lifestyle change is sleep hygiene. Sleep is fundamental for brain health for people with or without epilepsy. Studies show you get the best sleep between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. During sleep, your brain stores new information and gets rid of toxic waste. Nerve cells communicate and reorganize, which supports healthy brain function. If you have trouble sleeping, it's important to have a sleep study to find out if you have sleep apnea that can also be treated. The third lifestyle change is exercising regularly. Exercising in the morning improves your quality of sleep and can improve seizure control. Again, whether you have epilepsy or not, these lifestyle choices help with overall brain health. There's more great resources like these in the show notes. In episode 34, Diego talks about the three brains in your body, the head, heart, gut, and a few more. We talk about the brain, the heart, the gut, the spinal cord. So much that happens automatically in the spinal cord that you're not aware of it. Inside of the spinal cord, you have clusters of neurons that can create movement individually, not necessarily driven by the brain. When you have muscle memory, all this is happening in the spinal cord. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show. Also, tune into Season 1 for more on helping you be your own mental health expert. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.